1: episode 96 of the Aggressive Progressive podcast, 43 Republican senators just voted to convict the Republican Party. Let's start the show.
2: We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. You and I as citizens
3: have the obligation to shape the debates of our time
1: You would think that when somebody sends an angry mob to kill you, you'd want to take some action to make sure that no one ever does that again. You'd think that you'd want to hold the person who was most responsible, and I say most because there are others within the conservative world that are as responsible, not as not as equally responsible, but are also responsible, but the person Most responsible for sending that angry mob to the Capitol was Donald Trump. And 43 Republican senators said, eh, so what? It's not constitutional because we decided not to try him while he was still president. We decided to adjourn the Senate rather than have the impeachment trial while he was still in office. That gave us something to hide behind so that we didn't have to vote to convict. The Democratic impeachment managers from the House of Representatives made their point, as if that point needed to be made, frankly. Every single person in that room, every single one, no matter what they said, no matter how they voted, knew that Donald Trump was responsible for sending that mob to the Capitol, knew that Donald Trump was doing everything he could to unravel our republic that has stood for over 240 years. He did everything he could from the period just prior to the election when it was pretty clear he was in trouble and in serious danger of losing re-election up until January 6th when that mob, some armed, all dangerous, stormed into that Capitol, killed a police officer. Five of them, of of the invaders, also died. And hundreds of people were injured, including many police officers breaking bones, losing an eye. Two police officers committed suicide. But 43 Republican senators said, nah, we're going to just hide behind this procedure, this process. That, by the way, was ruled not to be Adequate by the Senate, by in a bipartisan vote, 55 senators said, no, 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 this can proceed and it is constitutional, which in and of itself made it constitutional because the Constitution did not allow for review of that Senate uh, decision. So, yeah, now 43 of them decide that, yeah, no, let's just take a pass. Well, I'm sorry, that's an indictment, not just of Donald Trump. That is a conviction of the Republican Party. And I don't know how any thinking human being can still be part of that institution to this day. And I'm and we're seeing this around the country. In North Carolina, uh, since January sixth, fifteen thousand Republicans have changed their registration to unaffiliate or something else since January sixth. Now, I'm sorry. You don't see a lot of people changing their registration in January. And February, uh, you know, for no reason, it doesn't happen. You don't, you don't see that. I've been involved with campaigns and political parties and and registration drives my entire life. There's nothing going on in North Carolina but for them realizing that they're part of a party that doesn't believe in facts, doesn't believe in the Constitution, and is willing to let a man who who incited an insurrection against our republic go free. Mitch McConnell, who, after the vote was done, made a blistering speech saying that Donald Trump was responsible and should be held accountable. Well, you had the opportunity, Minority Leader McConnell, to hold him accountable. Had you voted to hold him accountable, others would have followed you. You are their leader. I I mean... I, I don't know where we go from here if you're a Republican. I don't know what your place is. If you're one of those people who are Republican because you like tax cuts and low debt, well, you got your tax cuts. You didn't get your low debt. You didn't get any restraint on government spending in the Trump years. Donald Trump does not stand for restraint of anything, frankly. I don't know how these people who were your typical neocon country club Republicans stay in that party. I don't know where the seven Republican senators and 10 members of the House of Representatives who voted in the the House to impeach and in the Senate to convict. I don't know that they have a a home in the Republican Party. Now, I know Lisa Murkowski is the only one of those seven who's up in uh, 2022, and we all remember what happened. I don't know if it was six years ago or twelve years ago when she faced a primary, and she actually lost a Republican Party primary in Alaska, and then ran a write-in campaign in the general election and won. I I don't think she's worried about getting reelected in Alaska because she can always go that route. And when it's a state of uh you know less than a million people, you know, running a write-in campaign, you could actually go talk to probably all the voters personally. They probably all know her. And I guess that'll be a great test case to see where we're at. But I, I I, just don't know that they have a home in the Republican Party. And I don't know why they would stay there at this point. I don't know why they would stay in the Republican Party at this point. They're all getting censures. Bill Cassidy, Louisiana, you know, he voted to, to, to allow the trial to go forward. He voted. Um to convict because he he listened to the evidence and was there, right? He didn't need to listen to the evidence. He was there. He saw it. You think these guys didn't know that Donald Trump tweets and they didn't hear that Donald Trump was questioning the legitimate results of the election? You don't think they all knew what he was doing for the last, you know, five months or so? Forget about, you know, just the 10 weeks between January 6th and uh, November 4th. No, for the last five or so months, he was sowing the seeds of doubt in this election. Quite frankly, he did it before the 2016 election. This man has been saying that you can't believe anyone at all unless they're Donald Trump or singing Donald Trump's praises. And there's a lot of blame to go around in this country on the right for what happened on January 6th. But the Senate had an opportunity to hold the main culprit accountable and 43 Republican senators said, nah, we don't care. We don't care at all. Let it go. Who cares? We're more concerned about our next election than the Constitution. We're more concerned about our potential future in politics. You know, let me just make a point here. What difference does it make? If you have a future in the political system, if the political system is torn up and spit out by Donald Trump, should, should Donald Trump decide to get back into politics, which he might. Now, I don't think he'd be successful if he ran for president again. He'd get the Republican nominee nomination, but I don't think he'd win. But let's say for a minute he did. What's left of our republic? What's left of your career? You're going to be a senator? What difference does it make? What you get a membership in the Senate, Jim, what difference does it make if the Senate is not doing its job holding the executive branch accountable? And if it, if the only voice that matters is Donald Trump's, if you are a traitor to the Republic, if you disagree with Donald Trump, what difference does it make? If you're in the United States Senate still, why does it matter to you? Why does it matter to anyone? There's no reason for you to be in the Senate in a monarchy. I mean, if we have a dictator what are you you're a rubber stamp with a nice office I, I I guess I I mean these people have betrayed this country all 43 of them they have betrayed this country they have betrayed their oath they are hiding behind process in the most crass opportunistic, politically expedient, weak way. They're despicable. And, you know, what's going to be funny is like if you're Marco Rubio, let's say. And Marco Rubio, who the president, uh, who President Trump, when he was campaigning for president, you know, made fun of, called him so thirsty. So he's so thirsty. He's so thirsty. Called him little Marco What's going to be hilarious is when he gets primaried by Ivanka Trump for the u s Senate, and doesn't matter that he was right there with Donald Trump during impeachment and right there with Donald Trump for most of the things he wanted during his presidency. doesn't even matter because the Donald Trump is not loyal to you, Marco. He doesn't care about you. he cares about him. And having Ivanka in the Senate is good for him. Having you in the Senate is good for you, in his opinion. He doesn't care that you've been loyal to him. He doesn't care about any of these guys. I mean, look at, look at what he did to Mike Pence. Mike Pence said, look, the Constitution doesn't allow me to change the votes of the Electoral College. And Donald Trump sent an angry mob to kill him. You think... Little Marco, that Ivanka is going to say, "You know what? Marco's been good to us. We're going to vote, we're going to we're going to we're going to do our best, but we're going to uh, we're going to we're going to we're going to leave him alone. We're not going to let Ivanka run." No, no, that's not what's going to happen. Ivanka's going to say, "Oh, I could win this seat," and she's going to run. And Ron DeSantis is going to be like, you know, out there campaigning for Ivanka Trump until, you know, Melania Trump or Barron Trump wants to be governor of Florida. Barron's going to be like 18 in like four years. And Barron Trump will run for governor of Florida. will be the youngest governor in the nation, maybe in the history of the nation. And he'll run against Ron DeSantis. <laughs> he'll have Barron Trump as governor and Ivanka Trump as senator and all these people who have been rubbing the back of Donald Trump. And, you know, I wanted to say something else when I'm trying to be family friendly You know, all of these people who have just been kissing the ring for the past five years will be like, What happened? What happened? Didn't you see what happened? Did you not see what happened on January 6th? The crowd was saying, Hang Mike Pence. Can you think of a person on this planet who was better to Donald Trump than Mike Pence? (laughs) Who kissed his butt more? Who was, by the way, the reason evangelicals decided to trust Donald Trump in the first place before they decided to replace Jesus Christ with Donald Trump as their God. Mike Pence was the reason why they came along. And this guy, because he wouldn't go along with the big lie. He actually went along with the big, big lie. Let's be clear. He just said, look, I mean, I have no constitutional role to change it. He was like, Hey, you know, I like the constitution a little bit more than then, then, I guess I need to to be part of the Trump administration. and he sent the mob to kill him. They were chanting, "Hang, Mike Pence, what do you think they're gonna do to you, Marco, when Ivanka primaries you? I know Ron DeSantis thinks that he's Trump's best buddy, but if Trump decides that Eric needs a job because they don't want to pay him for the Trump and you know the Trump organization anymore, or Lara or any of these people. And they're saying Lara Trump's gonna run in North Carolina, Ivanka Trump's gonna run in Florida. Great. Those are two seats the Democrats should pick up. But man, Marco, you will not be on the ballot. And I'm telling you, Ron DeSantis, don't be so safe in your own house because there are lots of Trumps that need jobs. And they're clearly not as rich as they, you know, say they are. And running for office, they've found, is an excellent grift. It's a great way for them to make some extra cash, put together leadership packs that they could spend money on whatever they want. All this money that that people are giving to these leadership packs are going to nothing but their lifestyle at this point. So yeah, they ain't going to give that grift up. They're going to keep it going. And they really don't care that you've been loyal to them. Just ask Mike Pence. Just ask Mike Pence how that goes. If you're really concerned about that. Anyway, I've got uh, I've got a great guest uh, today, Ellie Mistal. We talked uh, we talked on Thursday about this impeachment trial. We talked about you know the you know the the white privilege you know factor in it and and where we're going from here as a country. I mean. Um, Look, I've said this before, I'll say it again. In the couple of weeks that we haven't had Trump in our lives, I've felt better. I've slept better. I've, uh, I've had more free time. It's been good. It's been easy. I mean, becoming a you know broadcasting's been harder because we've got to start talking about topics. Obviously, this week excluded because we had a real newsy week with the impeachment trial. But I've felt better. I think you've all felt better. I think even people who support Trump feel better. Now that he's not really in our lives every second of the day, getting us angry, right? I mean, liberals got angry because of what the guy was saying, but people who supported him, he kept them in a constant state of rage and that's gone now. That's gone from our lives and it feels great. So, uh, you know, I talked to Ellie a little bit about that. I talk about impeachment. I talk about where we go from here. Uh, Ellie Mistal from The Nation. You see him on MSNBC. He's a great guy. He's a friend of mine, um, and and I love interviewing him. I find him. I also feel like you got to follow him on Twitter. He's at EllieNYC on Twitter. Um, he is just he's just comical and smart and knows what's going on. So uh, I got that interview coming up. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Christopher Hahn to find out when I'm going to be on TV. My TV schedule's been messy lately. A lot of, it probably will start to level out now that impeachment's over and I'm not getting bumped for for that. (laughs) So, uh, but it is a, uh, it's been a weird couple of weeks, man. And I'm glad it's over. I wish it would have ended with a conviction. I didn't expect it to end with a conviction. I really didn't. I know you didn't either. So, all right, stick around for Ellie and then I'll be back to uh, wrap up the show. And thanks again for all you do.
2: Buckle
3: up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings
4: take you. What do we have here, doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help. Steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. <laughs> Listen to the Car Pro Show on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your
3: podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the
1: car buying business. CarPro.com. <laughs> Joining me now, he is a columnist of the nation. He is regularly seen on MSNBC and he's been on this show a couple of times because quite frankly, there are very few people who know the law and can apply it to politics like Ellie Mistal. Ellie, how you doing? Hey Chris, how are you? You holding up okay during this pandemic?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, every, you know, I'm ready for my second annual impeachment and I've, you know, I've, I got my, my 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 routine down a lot better than the first time. It, Can't wait for impeachment take 3 next
1: year. Yeah, I know, right? Or maybe in 2 years when Republicans take control of the house again because of gerrymandering. Uh, you know, so Ellie, I've been thinking about you since this began and I've been thinking about you since January 6th because frankly you are, again, I follow you on Twitter and I encourage everybody to follow Ellie on Twitter and, and you are, you know, very consistent in your commentary across things and you make me think probably more than anybody else. Oh, thank you. You really do. And I'm not just saying that. Um, and, and and I know you and I have this other connection outside of the radio, which kind of connects us and bonds us in certain ways. But I, the question I've been asking myself this entire time, and the only person I want to ask it to is you, is what, who is more on trial here? Donald Trump, the Republican Party, or, or white privilege? Because I look at these scenes from the Capitol, and it looks like white privilege to me. And I want to know what you think.
3: Yeah, I mean, look, the the white privilege is the undercurrent of everything that we're seeing this week. But for this specific trial, I'm actually going to go with the Republican Party.
2: Wow. Um,
3: Because what's happening this week, what's happening at the Senate right now, it's not a trial of Donald Trump. Everybody knows what Donald Trump did. He admitted to his crime on television. Everybody reasonable knows what happened. Everybody reasonable knows that this attack on the Capitol was, would not have happened but for Donald Trump. That's not even a hard case to make. It's actually not even a hard legal case to make. It just is a fact. Right. What's what we're seeing right now is whether Republicans who let's let us forget, Donald Trump sent a mob to kill them. Yes. Whether whether the victims of Trump's attack have the courage to hold their attacker responsible. And we're trying to see if even 17 of them have that courage. And the answer was probably going to be no. Yeah. And that is the thing that I think is most uh, is damning for them in a historical sense. Donald Trump tried to get these people, yeah. and they still won't
1: hold them. They would not have distinguished between a Republican or a Democrat. Tommy Tuberville would have been as dead as Chuck Schumer had they caught him. And you know, I know he thinks he wouldn't have been. But he would have been.
3: Trump was specifically telling them to look for Republicans. Remember, if you go back as the House managers did and actually listen to his speech, he's saying, "Let's go and give our Republicans strength." If you look at one of the uh, one of the people when the people went in and um, they were reading through the things, did Ted Cruz abandon us? No, no, no. Ted Cruz is still on our. Yeah,
1: page. yeah. No, he's with us. He's with us. No, they didn't. They didn't even know what what he meant by object
3: had they had a real sense that the republicans were the ones who were selling them out so i would even argue you know obviously the democrats that they knew would have been you know really in trouble you know the aocs and the nancy Pelosi's and basically all the women they would have done horrible things to
1: all they would have done horrible things to any woman that they found with a congressional pin on regardless of party because they assume that if it's a woman
2: it's going to be a democrat but it
3: was but it was the mob, mainly set set by Trump, to attack Republicans, and now Republicans are the ones who are once again willing to let him off the hook. It is just, it's pathetic, is what it is.
1: You know, I don't understand. You know, I know that you and Ted Cruz went to that law school in Cambridge, <laughs> Mass, together. Uh, I, I know I went to well, St. John's. Awful. The I went to St. J- I went to St. John's, the Harvard of, of Jamaica Queens. <laughs> <laughs> and and at St. John's, they teach you the but for clause in torts, which has been getting I I've forgotten. But for Donald Trump, would that mob have stormed the Capitol on January sixth? And the answer is clearly no. And
3: nobody nobody reasonable thinks of anything else, right? Paul's
1: graph for the win.
3: Right. Now, I will say. <laughs> that when you ask me about like what the trial of of white privilege is coming, it hasn't started yet. And that trial, I have written about this extensively at the nation. That trial is the fact that according to reports, 800 people stormed the Capitol that day. Every single person who set foot in the Capitol committed a crime. Every single person who set foot in the Capitol committed criminal felony trespass and felony disorderly conduct. Um, 600 of those 800 people are still at large. Yeah. They have not been.
2: They would
1: not have been allowed to leave the Capitol had they been wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts. They would have died in the Capitol.
3: Really, white people who wearing, I mean, I like how you said that. White people wearing Black Lives Matter t-shirts would have not made it out of that Capitol alive. Yeah, Rachel Dozial doesn't make it out of the Capitol alive.
1: It's no. funny how you chose Rachel Dozierl. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember Rachel Dozierl, she's the first white woman that was caught pretending to be a black woman who was also a college or, oh, she was the president of the NAACP in, like, Cincinnati or something, right? <laughs>
2: right.
3: <laughs> right so. so, to say nothing of actual African Americans, um, there, there was, you know, one of my friends offline said to me, you could not find a hundred brothers to charge the capital." Like those people did, because every black person would have known yeah. that was a suicide mission. Yeah, to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I say this all the time. Uh, you probably never heard me say this, but um, I was born to a 16-year-old mother and a 17-year-old father. Um, they who divorced by the time I was four, and yet I hit the lottery in this country, right? I mean, I was born a white male in America, and I had every opportunity and multiple chances. Frankly uh to succeed um and i don't think enough people acknowledge that uh you you know there there is a white privilege that lets people get away with things and it's clearly present in this video when you think about when you think about what was going on with these marches and uh, over the summer where people were just attacked for being there uh, and and these are people literally killing police officers in the capital attacking police officers and they just were allowed to walk out
3: the the thing that people don't get when we talk about white privilege is that they think that by saying white privilege that means you're saying you had it easy nobody's saying that white privilege doesn't mean that you have it easy white privilege just means that if you however terrible your life is imagine being black yeah it's kind of be like whatever, you're, whatever you got it would have been harder for you to get there um uh, if you were a person of color in this country that's what we mean when we talk about white privilege when we talk about systemic racism and especially systemic racism in law enforcement what we're talking about is january 6th
2: yeah because
3: there's there's just no, there's no there, there's no way there were times when these people were beating cops to death yeah And the cops didn't open fire on the
1: crowd. That just that doesn't that doesn't happen to black. No, it doesn't. I mean, these are people literally physically assaulting police officers with the intent to overrun them. I mean, with violent intent, there was no like this is like this is like a a mystery what these guys are doing. They would have been perfectly justified to open fire on some of those people. And one police officer did open fire on somebody. But it is, you know, that didn't
3: happen. And and, and and then you get to the arrest parts, like there there's no version of events where the reason why you do mass arrests is to a de escalate the situation let 's just round everybody up and sort it out later right and b it 's when something has happened where you think you have at least a colorable idea that everybody involved has committed some kind of Criminal act
2: yeah. literally
3: the best case for mass arrests I have ever seen would have been mass arresting everybody as they walked out of the capitol
1: yeah they could have just they could have just arrested them all and <laughs> sorted it all out let them all get lawyers and we'll figure out who was doing things they shouldn't have been doing be walking off the grounds anybody who was inside that line they set up should have been a
2: trespasser
3: yep and and, and that they could have done that so when I when I talk about the trial for white supremacy i I, I do not know that Biden will Biden's justice department will go back and get these 600 people who have not been charged so far. Right. But I know that he hasn't had an
1: opportunity to try. Well, we've got to figure out who who set those bombs and who killed that cop. Those things, you know, and other cops who literally... You know, two of them committed suicide. Others have permanent injuries. We've got to find the people who did this.
3: One of the things that I think the impeachment trial has done that I didn't know is really go into some of the injuries that the officers had. The ones who survived, yeah, you know, lost a finger, lost an eye, you know, broke some ribs. Like th- these, these injuries have not been communicated in part because on un- on un- 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 totally uh, wasn't reported. Un- standard, um, the Trump Justice Department did not do a full accounting of what no. happened. So you never got the press briefing from Chris Ray or the Capitol Police Chiefs or the U.S. It, it, Attorney it, for D.C. It's,
1: it's, it's par for the course. Let's talk a little bit about the trial. Look, I think the impeachment managers have done a fantastic job. Um you know, they had me at hello, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm looking forward, believe it or not, to the defense case after watching the train wreck they did on the motion on constitutionality. I, I just like to get your, you know, your keen legal mind on what actually, you know, the case that they made. I mean, like, to me, you know, impeachment and removal is not like you need to prove the crime. You need to prove that this person's responsible for what happened, and he is. Yeah.
3: And that, and that that's the standard. You, you say it right. There are a lot of conservatives who are trying to mess that standard up. You don't have to meet the criminal um, in a court of law definition of a crime in order to be convicted of impeachment. You just don't. It's a different standard. Yeah. That said – I mean, they got pretty close to the criminal standard for for incitement of violence, if you ask me. Yeah. Um. Um. The 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 their, the evidence they laid out. I was particularly compelled by the evidence, not just of what Trump did, which I kind of fully knew and you know have been following since January sixth, but it's all the evidence of what he didn't do. It's it's all it's all it's the absence of of doing anything to try to stop the riots, right? Right. I think Joaquin Castro's um, the end of the first day of the real trial, Joaquin Castro closed, which I just thought was a brilliant close about all of the steps that Trump didn't take. And I think one of the key stats was that, you know, this is a man who on a single day has sent out as many as 108 tweets. On the day of the attack at the Capitol where people were reading his tweets out In the middle of the riot, he sent five.
1: Yeah, and some of them were more insightful.
3: And none of them said the word stop.
1: Right, right.
3: They went through how when he wants people to stop the steal or stop this or stop that, he uses stop in all caps all the time. But on the day of the instruction, the word stop never came out of his mouth.
1: No, he was relishing what was going on. He was sitting there saying, look at what my people are doing for me. Look at what my people are doing for me.
3: And that evidence, I thought, was, I just thought that was so compelling. I thought that, that really, uh, to use a big Lebowski, that really tied the room together.
2: Yeah, it really so did. he
3: did all of this, and then he didn't do all of that. He didn't deploy the National Guard. He didn't get out there and say, no, 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 this isn't the way to go. He stopped tweeting at 6 o'clock. Like, he did all of these things to encourage, to nod, to wink to the rioters that they were on his side. And they had done a good job, which is why, on the day of the riot, the rioters were like, we want We did what we came to do, right? Um, That's what Trump told them. So I think that was damning. Again, I I actually think that there would be a a non-zero chance that would hold up. In front of a jury of his peers, yeah. But certainly, for the standards uh, at a Senate conviction, at a Senate impeachment trial, they more than met the standard. It just—it just doesn't matter because Republicans are craving it. And-
1: I mean, what is wrong with these people? Why do they want him in their life still? I mean, this is a guy. Could there be of anybody who is more like a dog, you know, following his master than Mike Pence to Donald Trump? <laughs> I mean, he's like a little dog that's following a guy with a bag full of doggy biscuits. He tried, and, well, and they you know, tried to kill him. Even a dog you run away, you try to kill it, right? This, this, <laughs> the, 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 the guy who was most loyal to Donald Trump was sent an angry mob to try to kill him by Donald Trump. Yet these guys think, no, 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 that won't happen to me.
3: So I got two things here. One is that the Repu- what the Republicans are really afraid of is not Donald Trump, who's kind of a declawed you know, fish out in Mar-a-Lago. Right. What, what's, what's disgusting about it is that the reason why they seem afraid of Donald Trump is because what they want are Donald Trump's voters. Yep. The people who stormed the Capitol yeah. are the people that the Republicans don't want to piss off. Yeah. Because they want their votes. They want their support. They. It's, it's that thing of, like, they they would rather win with the support of white nationalists and white supremacists and white domestic terrorists. They would rather win with that than lose without
1: them. You know, for these guys who pretend to be Christians, you would think they would remember the biblical verse, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? And that's what's going on here. There's no The Republican Party doesn't exist anymore as far as I'm concerned. The guys we used to fight with back in the old days, they're gone. They don't exist anymore. We can't go out and have a beer with them after our debate. This is just a this is a nonsense thing at this point.
3: You tell Republicans that, and they'd be like, "Well, how big is the world?"
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Oh man, I stepped on your shtick. That was a good. That was a good, you know, Dell close level reacting to what I said at the top of your intelligence. <laughs> Do you have improv training, Mister Vistel? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the second
3: thing I got, and I have want to, I, I want to plug this because I have an article coming up tomorrow in the Nation about this. The second, the second reason why they won't convict him is because to convict Trump. Is to admit that they were themselves wrong all along. Yeah. Look at the issue of look at the conundrum facing a guy like Marco Rubio. <laughs> House managers brought up that bus, the Biden-Harris bus, that the Trumpers tried to run off the road in Texas. Yep. Um, and and showed how Trump you know supported it and encouraged them, nod, wink, and all that, right? They use that to say, like, look, Trump has been inciting violence all of this time. Right. But remember who else was positive about the bus incident? Marco Rubio.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
3: Rally where he was like, I saw what happened in Texas. That's great. We love that. Yeah. Like, how does Marco Rubio now turn around and say, actually, no, no, no. You, Trump, you've been inciting violence all this time. When Marco Rubio himself has been part of the problem, that's the thing. These, these Republicans, and it's not just Hawley and Cruz, although it's obviously Hawley and Cruz, Yeah. but for the most part, these Republicans have been complicit in the violence that then almost ate them on January 6th.
1: Rubio is up for re-election in 19 months, and I have four stations in Florida now. So I I think I'm gonna have to do some live shows down there. What do you think, Ellie? I mean, a little. Hopefully, you'll be able to do live shows again by then. <laughs> yeah,
3: I'll get a little Val Demings action on there. Yeah, like whatever it takes. Uh,
1: one of them is in Orlando, so I could definitely get Val Demings to come in. <laughs> That's actually where the biggest station I have right now, because I lost my San Francisco station. <laughs> but it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's, a, it's it, yeah we got we got to get down there because he needs to be. Uh, we need to talk to this guy and talk to his voters and make sure that they know that Marco Rubio uh, really is just all- along for the ride uh, yeah. with this guy and whatever wherever he takes him he's going to go, including tearing up the Constitution. And
3: they, and they, and, they, and that's why they that's why they almost can't convict him. Convicting him would have because that's the thing. What happened on January sixth did not come out of left field, right? right. That was not Trump going crazy, right? That was Trump acting exactly like he acted on January 5th, and January 5th, 2000, 2019, and January 5th, 2015. It's the same guy. Yep. I mean, the only difference is that the people finally kind of got the critical mass to do some real violence.
2: That's yeah.
1: what happened. And by the way, he, he paid $50 million to get him to come to Washington to do it. He invited
3: them to come down there. Like This, is, this was a plan. This this was not an accident, but Republicans then would have to admit that, they, that their actions were not accidental either. That they saw it the whole time. That every time that people were like, "These tweets are terrible," and they were like, "Stop with your Trump derangement syndrome." Yeah, they would have to admit that all that was wrong. Yeah, and well. that they did not see the threat and the danger clearly like the liberals did. And Republicans
1: cannot do that. Constantly. Well, some of them have come around. You know, like six of them have basically come around and said, "Yeah, you know what? We gotta we gotta figure this out." I don't think I don't think many more. Well, maybe two or three, but we'll,
3: we'll the ones that have come around are the ones that were the least complicit in the entire lead
1: up to those. And that is that is true. All right. Ellie, let's talk a little bit about the legal arguments being made. The Republicans are trying to hide behind, you know, the Constitution doesn't allow you to uh, prosecute or convict someone who's out of office, which is clearly not true. And quite frankly, the Senate voted on it. So it's definitely not true. <laughs> uh,
2: you know, uh,
1: you know what? What do you make of that that argument?
3: It's just cover. They're just trying to give them the the Republicans are trying to give themselves some way of saying that oh, we totally wanted to convict the person who tried to kill us, but gosh darn it, we just couldn't. Oh well, like that's that's how they're trying to play this. The constitutional argument is laughably wrong, and it's particularly offensive because. First of all, he was impeached while he was in office. Yes, he was. The reason why he's not being tried until after is Mitch McConnell's fault. Yeah. That was Mitch McConnell's idea to slow roll the beginning of this trial until Trump was actually out of office. So did Mitch McConnell purposely do something that he thought was unconstitutional? According to his votes, that's what he's saying he did. Yeah, That he purposely tried... To, to do an unconstitutional maneuver to scuttle the Democrats? Like, is is there actual answer here? Yeah. So, look, it, it wasn't a good argument to begin with. We've literally impeached people who have already been out of office before. That's actually happened in American history. There's no, you know, as the impeachment manager said, there's no January exception for crime.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the biggest thing that, to the, you know, that's the biggest thing that I've heard talked about, is why should there be a January exception? The, the founders of this country were most afraid of this period, when a, an incumbent president would abuse their powers. This is what they were most afraid of.
3: So, yeah, yes, that's true. So, there's just, there, there's, no, there's no meat on the constitutional bones um, that they're trying to pick, but they're trying to wave something around so that their own, so that they can claim, we, they believe with a straight face, that they would have convicted Trump if Again, gosh darn it, if we just had an opportunity to do so. It's it's bollocks, but this is these are the games, you know, play stupid games, win super prizes. These are the games that Republicans
1: play. You know, and and even like law professors like Alan Dershowitz, you know, he taught at that school you went to, Harvard. Uh-huh. Right. And and I, again, he's misquoting property law. Basic property law one oh one. He's saying that Donald Trump uh, didn't incite them. He invited them to go to the Capitol. You can't invite somebody to a piece of property you don't own. <laughs> I, I, I learned that in, in Professor Berta Hernandez's class, Property Law 101, my first day in law school. <laughs> I know what an invitee is and an invitor. I remember that from law school. He's Alan freaking Dershowitz. Isn't he supposed to be one of the greatest legal minds that ever lived?
3: I mean, remember impeachment number one, though I think he's 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 stopped chewing the leather a little bit. Yeah. But look, I, 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 one of the one of the best indications that that argument, that Dershowitzian argument, is wrong is that there were no events planned at the Capitol.
1: No, there weren't, and there was no permit taken out for a march to the Capitol either.
3: Right. They didn't have a permit for it. If you want to plan a rally at the Capitol, they're going to, hey, hey can you come speak at my rally at the Capitol? Right? That's what it happens. There was no event planned. There was no permit gotten. There was no intention to do at the Capitol other than what they actually did. Yeah. Right? And that's how you know because it didn't plan anything else, right? It's like, hey, everybody come for, your, uh, come for the baseball game. Bring all your baseball bats, all your aluminum wood, bring some balls, only there's no field. Yeah, just a target.
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, no, just that kid over there we want to beat up. <laughs> right? Like that's, you know, that's just not, not the way it goes. All right, I have a few minutes left with you. And I just want to get your thoughts on where this country goes from here, right? I mean, do you think that there's going to be, look, I don't think you need to have a 50-50 split of the Republican Party. But if like 10, 15% break off from it, that's devastating in this world that we live in right now. Do you have any hope that something like that might happen? nope I
2: think
3: <laughs> there's that old Chris Rock joke like you know you can find a white person who's who's poor and I'm rich and yeah like now nope, I'm gonna try and ride that uh, and bit. I'm rich
1: I know it's one of my favorite jokes of Chris Rock. <laughs> that,
3: that's how like the we thought we thought that in 2016 that what that election would prove we I, people on my side of the aisle black people i think especially thought that 2016 might prove that there just weren't enough white supremacists that you could win a national election just on the strength of white supremacy
2: but there was and, and
3: turns out we were wrong there were in fact just barely enough white supremacists, that you could win a national election straight up on white supremacy. And now that they've seen that, I think they'll they'll keep doing that for a while. Republicans have lost seven of the last eight popular elections, and yet they still control the Supreme Court. They've appointed 15 of the last 19 Supreme Court justices in that same time period. So they, they already have one branch of government on lockdown. They know as much as, you know, Trump... Got whooped by seven million votes nationally. It came down to forty-three
1: thousand votes in three different states. It's amazing. It's amazing when you think about how scary that is, because that could change. You know, just because people move, right? <laughs> you know, it
3: could change because it rains.
1: Yeah, on Day that's point. a change because we decided that we don't want to have mail-in ballots anymore because COVID's over.
3: Don't even start with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that's why we got to get rid of the filibuster in the Senate and make that not an option for these states.
3: So so I absolutely think that that Republicans will keep doing this, keep leaning into white supremacy until there are actually significant enough numbers, really, of white people who reject them.
1: Yeah.
2: And
3: they'll be forced to change.
1: Well, that's got to happen. All right, Ellie, I got about uh, about 40 seconds left with you. Anything you want to plug? Anything coming out you want people to look for?
3: Not quite yet. I am working on a book, but it's not ready for publication. I'm still doing the edits, so, but keep an eye on that. Otherwise, you can find me at L-E-N-Y-C, that's E-L-I-E-N-Y-C on Twitter, and I write for the nation.com. I write about twice a week.
1: He writes about twice a week, and it's always insightful. It's always smart. It's always kind of a little funny. And, you know, even when it's a bad topic, you always have something in there that makes me chuckle a little bit. I don't know if it's just because I know you, <laughs> but it's it's just, you know, you know, I, I find Ellie to be one of the most insightful people on, out there writing on this stuff. So check him out. He's at the nation. He's at Ellie NYC. I said he's at Ellie Mistal. Uh, Before, But he's at L-E-N-Y-C, even though he's living in the burbs right now. Well, when I
3: got on Twitter, I didn't think I was ever going to have children, you know?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. Something about children in the backyard. (laughs) It's it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Ellie, great to have you. Stay safe. And uh, we'll get you back here real soon when that book comes out.
3: Buckle up, folks. The Car Pro Show podcast is here to rescue you from the doldrums of everyday life. And you can find it on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast cravings take you.
4: What do we have here, doctor? Looks like yet another case of the Car Pro Show podcast giddies. Do you concur? I concur. And it's spreading like wildfire. I know, but the podcast is so powerful. Jerry and Kevin dish out all the juicy car news from the Car Pro Friends universe. They review and chat about the latest car lineups from all the big players in the industry. And they take live calls to help. Steer car buyers in the right direction. It's highly addictive and impossible to shake. Do we alert the press? Are you crazy? If more people discover the Car Pro Show podcast and its cornucopia of car curriculum, this thing will spiral out of control. Listen to the Car Pro Show on
3: iHeart, Apple, Spotify, or wherever your podcast desires take you. Brought to you by CarPro.com, where you now have a friend in the car buying business.
2: CarPro.com. <laughs>
1: How good is that guy? He's at Ellie NYC on Twitter. I retweet him. If you're following me at Christopher Hahn on Twitter, you're going to see a million retweets from Ellie because he's just great. Um, read his column in The Nation. He writes, I think, two or three times a week for The Nation, and they're usually very in-depth uh, articles about what's going on. It's He's fantastic. So at Ellie NYC and read him in The Nation. He's on MSNBC. Not enough, frankly. I think he should be on more. I think he should be like their lead, like constitutional scholar, because quite frankly, some of the constitutional scholars they have, while they're very knowledgeable, Ellie will keep you entertained (laughs) and he will, he will, he'll boil it down in a way where you can actually understand what he's saying and, uh, and not have to like, you know, get out your Black's Law Dictionary to, to understand what was just said. Ellie... Ellie's great. He's a great pundit. I don't know why they don't use him more. They should. So that's my pitch. Not like anybody at MSNBC is listening to me. I've only been on there a couple times. You know, of my 2,600 national television appearances, only three of them are on MSNBC and uh, a couple on CNN. And, you know, I did a year at Current. So I did some stuff there, but it is what it is. So, you know, Here we are, uh, you know, we're past impeachment, Senate's on recess, the House is on recess, the House and Senator on recess this week, they'll come back, they'll vote on the stimulus bill. There has been talk about bringing back earmarks. And what are earmarks? Earmarks are programs that individual senators and House members insert into budget and other pieces of legislation that usually benefit a project within their district. These have been gone for a while. John McCain famously railed against earmarks. Now, I have been one of those people who say one of the big problems we have in Washington and why we can't ever get a deal done is because we don't have anything to offer. There's nothing, you know, you don't like this bill. It gives you some problems with your fundamentalist beliefs in, you know, conservatism. Well, what am I going to offer you? I can't uh, do a road project in your district because we don't have earmarks anymore. I I'm a big believer that earmarks could actually get things moving again in Washington. Can get you know can break some of this partisan log jams because there's something to trade. You'll get some horse trading and bills, and I think that that's a good thing. Now, when I worked in the Senate, there were earmarks, and and John McCain made it like it was the, the worst thing in the world. Now I, I don't understand that, and and believe me, I I, I liked John McCain. I did. I. Still say it right now. I mean, I didn't know agree was with him on policy, but I always thought he came from a place of truth. His truth might have been different than my truth, but it was a place of truth. He agreed on facts with Democrats. He just had a different way of doing things, which is the way it should be. But he was wrong about this. Why should it just be the president that determines how federal dollars are allocated when the House members and the senators are closer to what's going on in their districts and in their states, and they should have a role in earmarking uh, earmarking where some of these federal dollars go within these big huge trillion dollar budget bills. I'm all for that. I don't see the evil there. Now I get it. there's a lot of potential of abuse who's paying me who's you know who's uh, who's giving donations to this senator are they getting favorable treatment in earmarks? Okay, well, that could be cured with greater transparency. If we, you know, and John McCain was a champion of that, McCain Feingold, very famous bill that got struck down by the Supreme Court. Congress needs to find a way to make sure that if we're doing earmarks, there are transparency. We know which members ask for it, and those members have all of their donations disclosed, including these super PACs that are supporting most of these campaigns now. Most of these campaigns are not run in the traditional way anymore. They're run by these super PACs that have unlimited ability to raise funds. And there's a lot more damage being done there than earmarks ever did. I mean, these people can just put up a million dollars, not even care. So, you know, I hope they, I for one hope they bring them back. I hope they bring them back and there's some horse trading And we start seeing more bipartisan votes on these on these bills, because I think it's 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 it was the grease that turned the wheels of the machine, if you ask me. And and I get it. It seems dirty. And John McCain did an excellent job politically of making it the biggest problem in Washington. It was not the biggest problem in Washington. The biggest problem in Washington back then was campaign finance that wasn't fully disclosed. It's still a huge problem right now. The bigger problem in Washington right now is that one party won't believe in facts as evidenced by 43 people deciding to turn the other way on a man who sent a mob to kill them. Trust me, they would not have determined the difference between Marsha Blackburn and Nancy Pelosi. You think they know who you are? They don't. They would have killed you just the same. It's pathetic. So we'll see if that actually comes to pass. and we'll see what happens with that and we'll see if it makes a difference. I for one think it will. So uh, I look, I, I really again want to thank everybody for listening to this podcast and follow me on Twitter and all the other things you've been doing to help me. If you like it, please you know feel free to tweet at me at Christopher Hahn or go to dot There's a link to an email there. you can email me. Uh, if you got a, if you got something you want me to talk about on a future show, feel free to reach out through there. And I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there, and I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.